Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We provide fan-oriented animalic discussions on a variety of animated shows, movies, and anime. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Sam Quattro. Hello. Sam and I will be discussing uh, the 2015 stop, uh, stop-motion animated film by director Charlie Kaufman and co-director Duke Johnson, Animalisa. Um, this is a much different offering than we usually discuss on the podcast but i want to discuss all the prominent animated in quotes films from this year this is uh first warning label this is definitely a movie that is not appropriate for younger audiences most of the content on our podcast is but please do not do not watch this movie or listen to this podcast does this mean this podcast is going to be rated r this is rated r podcast yeah for sure Um, yes absolutely after this warning uh (laughs) Yeah, you haven't been on you haven't been on one of these. Uh, me and, have we have one? Me and Delaney did Rick and Morty and um, oh, City, okay. which were adult shows. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that if you have not yet seen Animalisa, you we will I will tell you when spoilers start. I I think people are very unfamiliar with this movie, so um, there will be a time in the description as well. And but for now, until I say spoilers start here, you're fine. Um, and I am very strict with spoilers, so like yeah, I have to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. Uh, this this Animalisa, uh, it's gonna probably gonna be nominated for best animated feature. Um, it's been it's uh, in the third most popular movie in critics top ten list this year. Um, so maybe for best uh, script too. Yeah, I th- I think it could be because it's it's Charlie Kaufman. So yeah, which people consider him like a great writer. Yeah. I, um, this is before I. Oh yeah, if it's gonna be nominated for script, it they can is going to do the incredibly dumb thing where him adapting his own play is going to make it a best adapted screenplay which is so, yeah <laughs> it's the dumb thing yeah. but it was a play before it was like a really small play yeah and then they i don't really understand in what capacity it was a play at the very least he originally wrote it to be a play and we'll discuss details of that for one specific scene um uh so let's yeah An- animalisa um no that's not supposed to be a word that is a real thing and you will figure out why if you watch the movie Let's uh, okay. So I'm not familiar with Charlie Kaufman's works at all, actually. Um, Sam, you are slightly. Um, slightly. Yeah. Well, he's have you like, have you seen any of his directed films? Um, I don't think I've seen. Let's see what he's directed. Snecky New York. Um, oh, he doesn't direct this and Snecky King. I haven't seen Snecky. Being John Malkovich, I have not seen that either. So um, we're not. The, I've seen some of that um, okay. adaptation, and Eternal Sunshine is my favorite movie. So this is Eternal Sunshine. Sam loves. So what did? Sam, you like literally just watch this. What did? What are your initial thoughts on Animalisa? Even if you not, haven't necessarily, um, it's a it's a really weird movie. So it's not like we're gonna have our thoughts completely down yet. But what is, what are, what are you thinking right now about it? So I didn't really like it until the halfway mark, and then after that, I was like, mm, oh, still like meh. Like the ending was like, eh. I mean, it plays on a lot of tropes that I don't really like, and that I think are kind of overdone. And, like, it uses them straight as opposed to, like, subverting them. Or I guess maybe it does subvert them. I'm not sure. Um, we'll get into it. So it's like this. everything in this movie is a, is a subversion, so it's really hard to tell. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see why it's, like, considered one of the best movies of the year and why it's, like, on all the critics, like, lists and stuff. But for me, like, maybe it's not particularly my cup of tea, given, like, uh, the characters and, like, who they are and whatnot uh yeah is 
the the only the one of the only problems I had with this film, I really really love Animalisa. Um, I think that it's um, really cerebral. I think it's um, really it's 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 kind of like dark and um, self aware of everyday life in ways that other films or media are not. And I feel like that's probably what Charlie Kaufman is known for. Although again, I have not seen his other works. I will definitely watch them now because i love this uh the only problem i had is that it's a very much a male perspective yeah Um, that that was really my problem yeah and i can see that there's one sequence in the film uh that i'll talk about later which i was not a fan of and other than that the beginning it's not like good and it's not like you're gonna be happy watching it but it's just uh it's it's just very aware of how it's it's it just like i could see people calling the this like pseudo intelligent like and that's a good thing that people would call it that because it's like that aware of how things actually work it's like if people uh, so i'm saying like people i'm saying it's aware of how things actually work and then people might respond to that by like oh that's like pseudo intelligent nonsense right um and like (laughs) if someone if people would say that then that's a good thing that was dumb point to make but um yeah it's it's uh there's one really interesting mechanic that the film uses which we'll talk about after spoilers and um just everything really comes together pretty well at the end uh the stop motion is really interesting to talk about basically all the characters in this are barbie doll sized puppets uh printed out by a 3d printer and then like literally it's just stop motion like they move a little bit and they take a picture and they move and they take a picture and that's the entire movie uh, which is kind of crazy that uh, they I think that for this movie, it's uh, harder to tell that that's what's going on than other stop motion that I've seen. Like you kind of true or false. And you like, like kind of just it wasn't it didn't like color your viewing experience that these were puppets and it was stop motion. Like, did you did you constantly think that as you were watching? Not really. I mean, there were parts where sort of they played with that a little bit. There, yeah, like, one um, one thing for in particular, yeah, yeah. But, but like, honestly, the whole time I was thinking, well, this could have really easily been done in live action. I'm not sure why it's stop motion instead. Of, like, I mean, maybe they just want to like play with the medium and like see what they could do with it, which you know is always like welcome. But you know, it could have easily been done in um, live action. Like, really, like, there's nothing like spectacular, like effects wise, that would have caused it to be like. Yeah. Less painful. Let me read to you. Um, I'm going to be quoting several times for a, an interview Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson did for NPR's Fresh Air um, on why Charlie Kaufman on why this is stop mo- needed to be stop motion. The story Kaufman said, "We think it allows people to focus and pay attention to things that are mundane in a way that uh, they might not be able to in live action. You know that everything you see has been calculated and choreographed. There's no that's no that there's no accident. If he drums his finger against." His thigh that was a choice we made as filmmakers and it kind and it becomes kind of fascinating because of that so my interpretation is like uh this film is just very much about the uh just like the absurdities and the terribleness of the mundane aspects of everyday life and like they are in complete control of that with stop motion yeah yeah so that's very art thing (laughs) yeah i think this film i mean you're the art person this to me this to me this film seems very much more like a work of, i mean all movies i guess are works of art to a certain extent but this seems more work of artish than a yeah, typical especially narrative with, like the choices that were made yeah it, it was definitely more a quote-unquote works of a work of art as, like, opp- as opposed to like a straight narrative piece you know um, yeah and it's it's one where the medium 
comes into play and like the storytelling blends kind of together to serve the overall tone. It's yeah, it's quite I think it's quite an experience. Uh I I would recommend this. You know, of course it's in very adult. Uh if you if if the type of kind of uh like uh the playing on getting into the everyday aspects of life and that type of thing, if that kind of concepts appeal to, I would recommend this movie. I think it's worth checking out, um, even if you're skeptical because uh just how prominent it is and it's it's a very it's very much as we're an animation podcast this is not the type of work that comes along very often in u.s animation so it's very important i think to cover it and we'll talk about how i i hope that this opens up uh adult animation uh for filmmaking here in the united states which it is very much not a thing before this so uh also it's only 90 minutes um playing very limitedly around around the u.s i think it's going to expand soon so i was gonna say i feel like it might have worked better as a short but then again that takes away from like the quiet moments and, like, originally it was planned for uh like 40 50 minutes and they yeah just, like yeah. i feel like it might have worked better that and way and then but... they they figured out that they it was uh, this was also kickstarted <laughs> yeah yeah I, ju- I was just reading that yeah. yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff about this production and there again originally a play okay so spoilers start here um let me note the time down so Oof. that we can, uh, but yeah, so do I would, and again, if, if you're considering there's people who like, like spoiling themselves and there's people who are like, oh, whatever, so Sam, <laughs> Sam, but also there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, listen, the spoiler section, whatever. I would really not recommend that for this movie. It's very much like an, an, an experience to view. And like, I would not color that with knowing what happens. Okay. Also, I just noticed that Charlie Kaufman, like pretty much all of his movies, except for Eternal Sunshine are about beleaguered creative types Hmm. like people like people like directors and authors and like you know puppeteers and stuff do you think that that describes the main character of this movie he is a beleaguered he wrote a book (laughs) yeah but like it's interesting okay we're in spoilers now so this main character michael stone he's like it's so weird he's a customer service expert what is what is what is yeah, what is that? <laughs> he's the respected author of How May I How May I Help You Help Them. It's like we we kind of slowly learn what he's doing there, and it like turns out that he's actually famous in a very narrow circle, right? Uh, yeah, among to the customer service people, the customer service industry. He's like, yeah. So, I've never like, heard of like him. what do you think of that concept? It's such a weird thing to make him. I mean, uh, like. That that's probably a thing. That's somebody's job out there to like write this sort of book. So they like try to improve like efficiency in the customer service injuries. To me, the only the thing that his job did was like it changed my perspective on his prominence. I mean, I think this is intentional. It's like in the beginning of the movie, he seems very much an unimportant everyday man, and uh, he's like he's British. We learn, and it's like okay, but he just seems he's on a business trip. He's staying. We, I guess, in a fancy hotel, but it's like he seems incredibly unimportant. And then um, we actually kind of learn that he's like an author and he's like, at least in a small circle, kind of a big deal. And I feel like that kind of changes your perspective on him a little bit. But at the same time, it's already been established how uh, all these mundane aspects of life apply to him. So, like, I feel like that was very intentional to, like, make us, like, relate to him on a... On a, not that he's a big deal anyway, once we learn that, but uh, I just I do think it's intentional that we're playing with uh, the perspective on um, his importance, like in yeah. society. Yeah. 
it's it's interesting i don't i don't think I don't, this character isn't much uh, and i think that's on purpose i mean the most prominent aspect of him is the stuff with uh, uh everyone's voices right um, yeah it's so okay i want to talk about this this is the most interesting part of the film right it is it's i didn't like you at when you're watching you realize at some point that everyone's voices except for michael's are the same and it's for me i didn't realize this until yeah i didn't realize it till the hotel i didn't realize it till the bus boy in the hotel because i'm like oh he should have a teenage voice but then he's no he just sounds like the cab driver and sounds like the concierge right uh it's just uh it's everyone's voices are the same until we meet lisa of course uh and then like later and then later we learn that Lisa's voice is just the Lisa's, same. Lisa's voice. That's the, like the climax of the film for me in terms of like, wow, this is really awesome. When Lisa's voice is, ch- as they're talking, is changing back into Tom's, Tom Noonan's voice, who voices everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, David Thewlis voicing Michael Stone and Jennifer Jason Leigh, who I just saw in Hateful Eight voicing. Oh, it's Lupin. It's Lupin? Yeah, that's uh, the guy's voice. Remus Lupin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the main character, yeah, from, from Harry Potter. So... Yeah, just this concept is, before we talk about the mental uh, illness aspect of what's happening here, um, on its own, as because I didn't, it's not like I knew about um, about uh, Fregley delusion as I was watching this. I saw this after. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know either yeah. and didn't so, link to the article. Yeah, that was not me being smart. Was, I read it on Wikipedia. <laughs> so, like... Uh, even even ignoring any professionally because and he does in the in the movie say i think i have uh i don't know what the phrasing he uses psychological psychological problems, problems yeah so even even without the knowing the specifics of that just I, I was just very fascinated by how this um device of everyone's voice being the same relates to what's uh like relates to the this character's mental state and it's it's just very striking in how it plays with Lisa, because of course then he starts treating Lisa like she's like really special. I mean, we had his ex who I don't remember his name. That character, yeah, name, I don't, but, yeah, I don't remember. Like and uh, and he like initially treats her like she's special. Bella, Bella, Bella. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then but then eventually it just devolves, and then we get to Lisa. And I don't know. Just uh, let's before we get into Lisa, which is a, it's a whole another thing. What did you think of this of this device and how it played out uh, eventually with the climax of the film? Um, so I really wasn't keeping the mental illness part like, like that wasn't in my mind at all while I was watching. It's like even like after he mentioned, oh, I might have psychological problems. I thought, well, you're just being overdramatic. Um, I thought like it was like quote unquote the like how I mentioned earlier, it's one of the, like the creative choices they made to make it like artsy. Mm. Since that's like. It's like an artsy thing that somebody would do. Which even with that um, in play, it still is kind of an artsy choice, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I like it's not like bad or anything. It's just it's a very artsy choice, and you know, it, it works sometimes. Um, I don't know, like in conjunction with the mental stuff, like now that I'm thinking about it, it, make, it makes me sort of like like the character a little bit more. I mean, I like him a little bit more, but more like understand him and not just see him as like a beleaguered. Uh, mm-hmm. cynic who yeah. just hates everybody so it's very he's very unsympathetic unless you take this into play i agree so let's talk about fregley de- delusion um which is very intentionally evoked by the movie because that's the name of the hotel and his that was his charlie kaufman's uh pen name when he wrote the play francis fregley so it's he's intentionally evoking this 
disorder. It is a uh, rare disorder in which a person holds a delusional belief that a different people are in fact a single person who changes appearances in disguise. Um, so it's like everyone. Here's the thing. I I don't know if we should be in. I don't want to talk about this movie in terms of like this is a movie about a guy with a mental illness because I don't think that's what it's trying to present as much. Um, and I think it's it's hard it's it's a little hard to talk about that because this is not something this is not like an illness that would like dominate things. Uh, like some things can be more subtly manifested in people, but he it, it's not like he has trouble in the movie de- like determining that different people are different people. He's he's yeah. very, he, he knows that people are different. So, and to a certain extent, it's not like he fully has what it's talking about here. But um, it's more of just Fregley delusion in in term in the sense that everyone is just completely unremarkable to him, um, and that they just all blend together in his mind, which is which may or may not be like a. I assume is actually I assume it is like part of that uh, umbrella of of delusion. He definitely does seem. Uh, I mean, we get the the uh, the nightmare scene in the with the hotel manager, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Which is like ever, which is more of a, a clear manifestation of this. But in terms of the scenes that are not dreams, um, it's just like everyone's just completely unremarkable to him, and that's manifested with the with the voices. Yeah, and I thought that that's something that was just like, eh, like of course. And then we have uh, the manic pixie dream girl Lisa come in. Okay, let's talk about Lisa. So, what did you think of uh, this character, Lisa? I liked her. I mean, I I really did like her. I thought that she was like, yeah, she was nice. She like girls want to have fun, and that's one of my favorite songs. Um, she likes scrambled eggs. I like scrambled eggs. Um, I don't know. It's interesting that like I guess it's like another interesting like quote unquote play on like a subversion that this almost this like. I don't know if you'd say subjectively or objectively. Subjectively to me, somebody who is like kind of unremarkable herself will be considered mm. super remarkable by a uh, Michael. So, but. so yeah. So let me tell you what I think the movie's doing with Lisa, which is what you just said. I think she's supposed to be the most uh, unremarkable, boring person in the entire world. Um, so it's like I'm. It's it's kind of funny you said that's like one of your favorite songs. Girls just want to have them, but then she's like, I love that song. then she quotes the line, <laughs> "Just gotta just want to be in the sun." Oh, that's I, I feel that so much. <laughs> like, oh my god, you're the worst. <laughs> that, that. That's what it's, that's what the movie was doing. It's like really, that's the thing you find meaning in that incredibly unintelligent line. Um, that, and, and even if that song is like the the movie's taking up the viewpoint that that song is just some dumb song, right? And it's like okay. I like the song, <laughs> and it's like well, okay. I'm sorry, Charlie Kaufman, but I like it. I think that's clearly what the movie's saying, and she and she sings it in Italian, and like somehow he's interested in that, and he's like, I love my eggs scrambled. Like, oh my goodness, this is <laughs> this is absurd. <laughs> That's that's kind of what uh, it's just. Just everything was incredibly boring about her, and yet he was finding her so fascinating, and that was just the very striking element of the scene. Uh, but as as unremarkable as Michael is, just this Lisa character is just like purposely one of the least interesting people ever, right? And what this, what do we think of this an anomaly thing? And then her calling him calling her anomaly, so which titles the the film? I kind of cringe. I was like, oh, that's this is the word. This is the name of the movie. Ugh. It's uh. it's it's just their interactions are very cringeworthy. So this this is the least fi- my least favorite part of the film is everything from when they enter the hotel room or when they meet for uh, till after they finish having an incredibly long sex scene. So yeah, that was. 
Dylan was like saying, Sam, come up. I was like, no. It's and then half, and I was like, oh. Let me read Charlie. Kaufman on the sex scene um, from the same NPR interview. So Kaufman says, we were aware going into this of Team America and the idea of the puppet sex being funny. And certainly this scene got a lot of attention. It's being written about a lot. So people are interested in this idea of puppets having sex. But our goal was to follow Michael and Lisa from the point that they entered the hotel room to the point where the lights go out and the scene is over as one continuous thing and not betray them by making a joke out of this. So it really was a matter of being very mm-hmm. hyper aware of what each of uh, them was thinking at each moment leading up to the scene and through that scene it all had bit to be choreographed with the intent of being true that if there is humor in the scene it comes out of the moments between them that are organic to the characters the awkwardness of being with someone for the first time also don't need a condom don't pull out it's that wasn't important i mean that's important to me it's it, yeah i mean it's it should be important but it wasn't important in the context of the movie it's important to me you know how i like the nitpick things um so yeah, it's, I think the scene was just very long, very uncomfortable. Especially the puppets having sex was just, um, which was on purpose. But I still didn't enjoy it. <laughs> uh, interestingly, I've I've read that in the play, this was go- this is those uh, these actors David Lewis and Jennifer Lewis and Lee just like on opposite sides of the stage, like moaning at each other. So that's how they're going <laughs> to manifest this in the play. See, I like that better. Yeah, I do like that better too. I mean, both of them are striking like puppet sex and like <laughs> that, that, but. Uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think of that? This entire sequence, like to me. Okay. So here's, here's my thing. So that scene, like Michael, the main character got lost in that scene for me. So I think there's a clear vision. I like, it's like, he just became like dumb and unrelatable. So we had the beginning Michael when he's just frustrated by like everything the cab drivers say and just the mundane stuff of all life. And like him being like calling his ex up and like all of that to me is just, relatable to a certain extent you know uh but then he and then at the end of the movie he's dealing with uh he's like okay back to the realities of you know i guess i'm going back to uh whatever his wife's name was and stuff like that donna donna yeah um and his son which he doesn't seem to care about at all that's brutal yeah (laughs) Yeah, that sucks like he brought him like a sex doll that was just rough yeah like seriously that very rarely do you see just a picture he like didn't seem to care about his son like at all and he's even says that at least dick yeah uh so like but then in the middle we have the scene where he's just seems really cool um and it was this perspective shift that i was talking about and uh it's because lisa is we found someone even more unremarkable than him and lisa and she is just very buying all this crap that he says um i don't know i just i didn't find much i like i understand what it's doing uh, yeah it was also just very long yeah i guess i don't know like I thought after that it was gonna like go somewhere more interesting. I gu- I guess like the speech scene was a yeah. So where I mean, there's kind of came together. We had a lot of we had a few we had a few scenes at the end after the after the puppet sex scene where like things are very prominent. We have the dream sequence, which I thought was very good. We have the them eating and her voice distorts into Tom Noonan's voice, and then we have the dream sequence, and we have him at home at the end. So there's a lot of kind of fall. Uh, climax slash falling action. I don't know what the climax of this film would be, but it's uh, so let's talk about all four of those, I guess. So the dream sequence, what did you, what did we think? I, 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 the first thing is that the, the first thing that stands out to me is like the giantness of the hotel manager's office. Yeah. I was like, what is like, is this a dream? It was a dream. Yeah. Like what do we think of this as a device? (laughs) I don't know what it's specifically trying to do. 
I don't like the size of the room. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't. That seemed more like of an art, artsy choice to me than a lot of. Things. I mean, I'd have to like go back and analyze it. Yeah, it was. It was a little. There's a lot going on in that dream sequence, so it's a little bit hard. So, I mean, it was. It's still the whole movie is slow paced, right? But it's a lot to take in. And then just him. That's that's when he seems the most delusional, right? Is during yeah. that, but it is just a dream. So maybe it's what's so what's the why is he dreaming about being more delusional than he seems to be in real life i don't know yeah this is this is a little tough um oh yeah i'm I'm Um, not sure how that that factors in i don't know maybe i I don't know that's hmm. maybe his like subconscious mind knows more than his conscious mind yeah or like suspects more. I honestly don't know what the what he's supposed to say. What what uh, what the what the point of of that is? This is this is not a movie where it's very things are very obvious. Walking out of the of the of the theater or whatever, and uh, yeah, so we have that sequence, and then he's like, everyone. What was what was the conclusion of that? It's been a few hours since I've seen this. Now it's like everyone's in. Uh, everyone's in love with me, right? Was that it? Yeah, or everybody's like the same person. And- since you know his wife is in that everybody <laughs> that everybody's like in love with him uh was, was his wife related to that dream sequence no but like they're all voiced by the same guy so I yeah to assume yeah. yeah well yeah that's, that's true well when everyone's the man. same voice there's a lot of different interpretations yes yeah, so we had that scene we had the scene with them eating breakfast um when lisa's voice begins to distort into the other one more unremarkable lisa stuff and then you can see him just getting like less enthusiastic right yeah, yeah it's like always like i'm gonna leave my i'm gonna marry you and then it's like by the end it's like no i wonder why that happens like but i guess the speech sort of like explains it a little bit so you talk about the speech what did you take away from from his speech at the conference that everybody is an individual and has their own lives and everybody deserves to be loved no matter how unremarkable they are do you think that was the point, or you think that was what he was saying? No, that's what I got from okay. it. Okay. What do you think he was saying? What do you, like he's because he's like saying actual he's things, say, and then saying, he was saying other like is like what he was like thinking, right? Yeah, he was like spewing out BS because it's like you know the customer service shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess it, it was sort of related to what he was like his existential crisis on the stage. It was like, what was he saying? Like he felt lost and like. How he didn't have anybody, and you know everybody is like the same person. But also, yeah. he put like he put the setting in the play. Like I feel like what the setting is like two thousand five, since he calls the president a war criminal. Bush. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. He, he also did. like the ten years ago thing from uh, Becca's letter in the beginning. Anyway. Yeah. Uh... It's, it's uh, yeah. Let's talk about his his loneliness, I guess, right? Because that was the a lot of the beginning of the film, um, on him calling up his ex, and then at the end, uh, he just he's like that's why he latches on to Lisa so much. But she, so how does his loneliness relate to like everyone being the same and like him not actually caring about anyone? I don't know. It's, it's kind of a like, shitty dynamic. Like that's that's a terrible reality to live in, where you're just cripplingly lonely but at the same time can't distinguish someone and care about them wow that kind of dylan you just described how i feel all the time <laughs> maybe, i mean maybe there's a lot of this guy in, in you or all of us i don't know that's that's what this guy's going through in the film 
Um, like he obviously needs some sort of like companionship or some people in his life, but uh, everyone just is, he just doesn't care about anyone. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what, what the big like metaphor is here. But... How, how, okay. So how about um, his ex in that scene with a uh, hotel bar? Because it did seem like he actually cared about her. Um, yeah. But at this, but looking back, I interpret it maybe more as that was him trying to recapture past uh, feelings that he had, like similar one similar to the one night he spent with Lisa before she like moved back into the gray. So you're saying that um, what's your face, Bella wasn't always like a the same voice person like she used to have. I think it probably at one point she had a different voice, much like yeah, her own distinct much, much like maybe everybody. But all had but looking back, voices. yeah, at the time I thought he cared about her, but looking back, she had the same voice, so it wasn't so much that he saw her and instantly the connection came back. I think he was just trying to remember the connection that they had initially. Yeah. Hmm. Which is yeah, I think that scene does play differently depending on like when if it's we're watching for the first time or looking back on it. Um. We have, uh, yeah, and the scene, her, yeah, the breakfast scene with her, and then the speech, her, uh, him at home with the wife, and she, he throws a surprise party, and there he, like, okay, this is another manifestation of the actual uh, Fregley. Like, he literally, he's like, who, who are these people, right? Yeah. Um, which apparently hurts all his friends and stuff, but he just, like, he seems to, like, genuinely not know who they are. Hmm. Yeah, he does. Um, what is, I remember, I'm... Um, trying to remember the specifics of one interaction with his wife like when he got back um he says um uh, well at one point she's like i don't want you to leave us and he's like where would i go right yeah yeah but what about um i don't know they have some exchange back and forth i don't remember but (laughs) i'm trying to figure out what you're talking about yeah but yeah i I know like he says that and it's like she's like well and then she runs off like what what do any of us do with that that was her response to it yeah like who like who are any of us okay yeah yeah what does he say to to prompt that well like who are all these people oh yeah yeah yeah. well who are you it's like wow food for thought yeah well that's that's the more of some of the thesis statements revolving his delusions, right? Um, what do we think of his relation to the wife and the kid? We talked about the kid already and how that sucks, but... This really reminds me of Lost in Translation. Have you ever seen that, Dylan? I have not, but yeah. Uh, it's, it's Honestly, it's pretty much the same movie. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, my perception of that movie is not edgy like this movie. No, it's... Well, it's not slow motion, uh, basically, Lost in Translation, it's about this uh, guy played by Bill Murray. He's like an actor guy, and he feels disillusioned with everybody, his wife, etc. But then he meets um, Scarlett Johansson, and she's like his manic pixie dream girl, and then they like have uh, like something. It's not really like a relationship. I'm not, I don't know what it was. No spoiling the end. I, I'm not. <laughs> Obviously, um, yeah. So Also, it's set in a hotel primarily. So Interesting. So. But it it feels a lot like the same movie, like a, a beleaguered old guy who is in some sort of field uh, that he gained recognition for. Like people, like people, like recognize him. Uh, can't like uh, relate to anybody, but then somebody rolls or some girl like comes or comes, and uh, suddenly he relates to her or things like she's like lovely and fantastic and stuff. 
But is she really? Hmm. So, okay, I don't know how that movie ends, but I feel like this is this movie functions as a subversion of that type of Manny Pixic dream girl because, um, it's like yeah, at first she's like that to him, but the reality is she very quickly fades, um, just like everyone else are in his life. That's sort of the the thing about Eternal Sunshine too. Yeah, I think this. I think this is regardless of that movie specific. Yo, about Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. Um, I think this is trying to subvert like any sort of um, one per- tropes of one person having a, a, pervert, a profound effect on another because it's like, no, no one can really change the how life is. How well, terrible life is. That, that makes me really sad. Well, this is a sad movie. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Let's talk about the aspects of how the beginning of this movie and throughout plays with like the mundane aspects of life. We have the cab driver talking about how. It's like things to do in Cincinnati. This movie set in Cincinnati for some reason. <laughs> it's like the most, which is, I think it's supposed to be the most unremarkable city, but yeah. The zoo was zoo sized. The zoo is zoo sized, yeah. Try the chili. Yeah. And then with the, that comes back on a billboard later, and then it's just like on a magazine or something. There's like the aspect of him trying to call for customer service, and like there's like five possible buttons that it could be, or like room service. Yeah. Like, the phone. And I was like, is this a fever dream? No, but it's like, no, that's just how life is. There's there's five buttons and like they all, who knows which one all, is real. They all might they do, all the, same do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, what, can you remember any other ones that stand out about that, that, like that type of thing? There's like his interactions with the bellhop and him like the bell. I don't know if that, yeah. And yeah, him, him like saying his name like over and over. Yeah, and him just like repeat, just needlessly talking. Like I was like, oh my God, shit. Yeah, that, there was like a lot of like needless talking. I was like, oh. And he just doesn't care about any of it. Yeah. Yeah, that like that kind of like made me almost want to not watch the movie. Why? All all this just needless talk. Like, what's well, the point though? It's supposed to be again. Like, that's like, yeah, that's the part of the point. Blah blah blah. But that kind of stuff just doesn't engage me. And like, well, I think there is a legitimate thing. It's like this movie is somewhat uncomfortable to watch for most of it. I don't um, want to say I'm just like. Mm. Uh, what? What? I, I think those are the main ones I can think of. How do we? How do we think of this part of the film? Comment commenting on just typical life i mean i don't that's something i think charlie coffin is good at like he does it like in a surreal way all the time um i don't know i'm just like the perspective like the who the character is he's a white male and he's old and uh, that just cut sort of like i don't know so okay let's let's okay let's talk about that because this is a perspective on the film you probably won't find anywhere else uh, that we're, we would talk about it from. Like we have more of a uh, progressive socially perspective on on works that we discuss on this podcast. Millennials. That, like we're then <laughs> then the like 50 year old white guy reviewers then you'll see reviewing this movie. Right. So this I movie- felt the same way when I was watching Blues and Warmest Color. But you go on okay. with the reviewers with that. So like I think from the perspective and admittedly. I am able to view most things from this uh, uninteresting white male perspective. I mean, I am that, but <laughs> like it's, I, I most, I, I, I watch things from a, like a progressive critical lens, but I am able to fade like and turn that off, which is, I don't know whether that's a good thing or whatever, but uh, I think this movie is really edgy and kind of, um, edgy it's like edgy and i know that that word is that doesn't have a positive connotation but like it's 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 like really interesting 
thing and cerebral and just like tears apart the typical life. But I feel like you could argue that all of this is from a very uh, just a, a privileged, like just a very like uh, someone who is able to have this be the hardest aspect of their life. These small things like the small inconveniences, people talking too much to the, I can't relate to, to like, I can't find someone who uh, yeah. is really for me. All of this is just such a very white yeah, I feel perspective. Like it's, yeah, I feel like it's really overdone. And well, so it's, there's a, a mental illness aspect to this, but like also. But first viewing, I didn't. You don't necessarily watch it like that. Right. So yeah. it's, it's like. Um, so there's the question of, is this movie like about like, or like, is, is this movie about like privileged problems and stuff like that? And like, is this just Charlie Kaufman bitching about things that, you know, people who aren't privileged, uh, would love to deal would love for these things to be their biggest problems in life. Maybe I don't know. Like this kind of makes me want to go back and watch Eternal Sunshine to see like how I, would see it now after watching this and maybe see if I see the same patterns and like, is this something that Charlie Kaufman is like, is this like his thing just bitching about? Do you, what it's like Michael Stillen, <laughs> like the main character. Do you like, could you like relate to him for the majority of the film? While I was watching it? No, not really. What is it? it just, what is it about him? That's like unrelatable for you. He just seemed like a dick. Um, Not to say I'm not a dick, but like, I don't know, he just seemed like an asshole and like, uh, like, I don't know, like I could relate to like him not relating to other people to an extent. Yeah. But to him, he just, like I said, like the magic word I keep saying, to him, he just seems really beleaguered, like, oh, get out of my face. Like, Burr. he just, like, he, he just, he, cur- he seems like a curmudgeon. So, like, I agree, he, not relating to people. I understand that and like the viewing it from a mental illness perspective is relatable to you but it's the aspects of him which are just like just seem like oh this is these are like rich person problems him walking yeah, into like yeah. this fancy hotel and like oh this is so inconvenient I have to figure out which button to push and then he's just constantly ordering cocktails throughout the movie he's um, he's constantly manipulating whichever women he runs into to try to fulfill his sense of uh, lack of intimacy. He's cheating on his wife. He's like, uh, I mean, this is one, no one's arguing. This is a good, a good person, but um, the argument, the problem could potentially be his problems are just like unrelatable to people who, who uh, actually have struggles in, in their everyday life. Yeah. These are the struggles of the person who doesn't have to struggle. Yeah, I mean, yeah. These I are guess. the struggles of someone who's never been discriminated against and stuff like that, right? Like, and it's like if you pres- if you present it from a privileged perspective, then it's going to be unrelatable to a lot of people. I, I just feel like that perspective is just so overdone, and like I've seen it so many times. Like it's all that you see. Which perspective? And like the you know, again, like beleaguered privileged male who just like his only problem in life is uh this Mm -hmm. and nothing else this to me seems much more uh because of like the uh mental aspect to it it seems 
not even it, it seems much different than the most of the things you're talking about mental illness but also just like how his brain is like struggling to cope with like the world around them like i feel like even first perspective there is a big mental element to it um that even if you don't view it with a specific mental illness lens that it just seems it distinguishes it from a lot of the other oh i can't i i can't find uh i have intimacy problems type movies i don't know i just like just i wish that there was something different there but no it's not my movie so i can't change it <laughs> i mean yeah yeah but like it's, it's, it's so for me like as much as there's a few problems in terms of perspective uh like i said i am kind of able to blend into that but also find a lot of um validity and truth to the truth you know like that it whatever using that word but like to the mental side of um his character and what he's going through and that's the main part of the film i think and that really leads me to liking it a lot overall um it just feels so it feels a lot different it feels a lot okay so i'm gonna one of the bit most one of the interesting things to come out of this is this is probably going to it's either this or inside out for best animated feature at the Oscars and like who cares like who wins that it's no relevance to the real world but I feel like that is kind of interesting comparing this movie to inside out because which I don't know if you've seen yet uh yeah you saw that so like yeah. <laughs> to me my biggest my biggest um criticism of inside out was that it was like it was like mental illness it was like an introduction to mental illness for people who do not have like that's what it almost seemed like to me it's like oh this is how people are depressed in the most basic sense of the word was like a lot of that movie to me and it's it's like here's how emotions work if you look like for five seconds beyond the surface of society um and to me that movie just felt very surface level and compare it to this movie where I feel like we're actually getting into a lot of um, real psychological stuff that happens and things I can relate to a lot more than than uh, just like, oh, uh, here's how depressed depression happens and it involves sadness, right? Um, yeah. Here's sadness and happiness. So like, I feel like this is a really interesting contrast on two movies. Obviously, one's for kids and one's for adults. So, um, or like, or like intended audience, you know? Um, for me, I feel like film is just... I'm. I just don't go to film anymore when I want to see that sort of representation. Like, there are hardly any films that talk about it, let alone ones that like get it to where I believe it. You know, or to where I think it's like a quote unquote fair representation of like any sort of mental illness. Uh, just speaking from my perspective personally. So, I. It's just like. Even, like, with indie films, like, you still have to deal with, like, studios and, like, higher-ups and, like, it it just gets processed and processed. And, you know, eventually the final product comes out as something like, like a bastardization of maybe what it should have been or what people wanted it to be. So Well, to me, that's, like, inside out. It's, like, it's not... It's not like any sort of like interesting, uh, interesting points about mental illness. Like if you are someone who has anything on the mental illness spectrum, Inside Out, I feel like is is unless you're just, well, if people watch that and they're like, oh, I've never seen actual uh, like big budget things talk about this before. So it's like interesting from that perspective, but um, it just doesn't broach new grounds. And I feel like to me this is like this is like one of the few films that like gets past what you're talking about it's like make actual points about um about people's minds and like the realities of most people don't function normally like that um and just how people you how to how to 
try to even if it's from this like really unsympathetic privileged guy like how do you try to get past this and deal with your life around you and the realities of what it causes yeah uh, I don't know. And I feel like the, this movie is only able to do that really because it was because it's specifically Charlie Kaufman. Like I feel like almost no one else would be able to do that, and because it was kickstarted. Yeah, that was yeah. what I was saying. Yeah, well, I mean, it did have it did have studio funding, but it was only after like it got proven that it, people wanted to see it through the Kickstarter and stuff like that. So um, this it's just very rare that this would happen. Um, so I feel like that's kind. of of reasons why it stands out and why we don't see it a lot more often it's like it takes a specific voice and it takes maybe not student maybe not initial studio funding to do it yeah i don't know dude we're living in an interesting time really really i don't know i feel like so it's like if you well let's bring back to the customer service aspect if you work in a place and like you don't like your boss and everybody doesn't like the boss eventually I don't know, something has to happen there where you're just going to have all these like really angry people who don't get their work done. I feel like that's the society we're living in now. Everybody's angry. And, I don't know, we're sick of what we're being given. At least media-wise and, you know, life-wise, too. But media-wise, like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, restlessness from uh, at least the people I know and the people I interact with from... uh, you know, the media not representing them and who they are specifically. So we're living in a time of great change, aren't we? Interesting, interesting perspective. How do interesting you, quotes from Sam. How do you relate it to this movie, what you just said? I don't, I feel like it's a step, maybe? Maybe a little bit. If, if you view it from the mental illness aspect. But if you, like, when I was initially viewing it, which I didn't know about, like, all this stuff, I was like, well... I don't like this movie because, you know, it is a white male protagonist who is, you know, privileged to an extent. And, you know, I can't relate to his problems. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't know. Maybe that will, like, turn a lot of people off from this movie. Maybe it won't. Who knows? But... The problem is, I don't... Yeah, I, I wonder if that's true. The problem is the only voices who I've I've heard on this movie are the are the white male critics which um as pointed out recently by meryl streep somewhere like like 70 or like well i don't know what it was like 80 percent of rotten tomatoes critics are male right so let's see if the mary sue has anything I probably not though this movie but yeah like uh you look at films mentioned on critics most top 10 lists according to metacritic um and um, animalisa's seventh uh like Mad Max, Spotlight, Carol, Inside Out. Inside Out also up there too, interestingly. I wish we could talk about Carol. <laughs> That's <laughs> not this movie, but yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's certainly gotten a lot of praise people. I think right now I'm I'm pretty high on it. Like I feel like I like I don't know. Here's what I do. I look at I look at my it's it's like right now I have my fifth favorite movie of the year, but I look at things around it like Bridge of Spies, like that's just such a it's it's an interesting movie about like uh it's like an interesting drama but like what is i compare it to the like i don't find any actual meaning in that compared to this movie it's just all very just 
it doesn't do anything particularly interesting. I just look at all these films that I've watched and I like them from like filmmaking stuff and like narrative perspectives. But I feel like this one just has more um, interesting conclusions and makes me um, like think about uh, like what other movie uses devices like this, like the stop motion, which we didn't even talk about that that much. And um uses it to such an effect where yeah i feel like the stop motion it's like it's like beautiful and like i respect that craft like i respect that and i respect all the creative choices that they were making but narratively it's just like i found it i found it uh, this is not a movie where i'd specifically look at the narrative just because of the uh creative choices relate to the narrative in such an in it's such a uh innate way that it all kind of blends together towards its uh overall perspective uh, that it gives the the audience um we could yeah so i overall i just i just find more meaning in it than most films this year and i think that's why i like it so much uh let's talk about the stop motion yeah to close things out because maybe because like i'm a big bad artist and like i deal with this stuff all the time i do yeah i do think how that it would be interesting to see how that uh perspective <laughs> to just show it to like my art friends yeah and be, like, and see how, what do you think of this movie yeah no i think that'd be really interesting and yeah. i also think it's like it's like you from a female perspective and from a like art perspective too, right? It's like what do you how how do how do um, non-white males like me react to this movie, right? I think that's also an interesting thing to see. Yeah, uh, uh, the stop motion, the puppets, they they three D printed. They they said they based on character models. They said they specifically wanted them to like not look like puppets. Like they're trying to. His point was like it was like you want a a lot of stop motion is like ch- ch- uh, aimed at children and they're like goofy and you he wanted people to watch this movie and not think of it as stop motion the entire time which is what i was hinting at earlier when i was asking you about that so yeah i just i didn't necessarily notice it the entire time and it's kind of crazy how all of it is just f- shot by shot from it and I, I i was like really like painfully aware of it a lot of the time like uh with stop motion it's like it's, it's a lot of work and like there are times when i was noticing was like wow this must have taken a very long time to do yeah but uh, also I don't like the whole like uh the way that the models are set up with a uh, sort of like their faces are in sections. Oh yeah, what do we think of his face dropping off at one point? Uh, that was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> and the face in sections part though, like to me, it just always looked like they were all wearing wireframe glasses. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> like I couldn't tell that they weren't. I thought that was pretty successful because um, you see the line in his face the entire time and then it does eventually drop off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's because and it's also very striking because you don't I don't at least for me, I didn't think of him as a puppet for I, you. I, I wasn't focusing on that as I was watching. I mean, I wasn't like this is a puppet pretending to be a man. Yeah, I was like, I, mean, I gave it like as much agency as like I would a live action film. Like, you know, this is a. How do we think it's? Do you look back on this as like a successful use of stop motion, a particularly meaningful use of it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely, in terms of like craft wise, it's pretty groundbreaking. I would say, like um, it's like very realistic and, you know, frames per second. Like it seemed a little bit, uh, more intricate than, a lot of other stop motion films. It's very I'm seamless. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what do we think? So yeah, we like it as a, it, it's interesting that it was a play first. So it's not like this was, this story was specifically penned for this, this medium. Um, yeah, which makes me feel like, you know, they just did that because they could have, like maybe Charlie Kaufman was like interested in stop motion. Well, he was, I think in interviews, he was like, if I was going to turn this into anything, it would have to be this. He said basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
I mean, like, it just seems like, you know, they did it for the hell of it, not because, like, it served, like, any sort of uh, purpose other than for, like, you know, his uh, fancy. I mean, I think that they, I think that, I don't know. It wasn't, obviously, it wasn't originally intended for that, maybe, spe- specifically, but I think that it's uh, it does serve a purpose for having it as that medium. I don't know. Meh. What do we th- uh, to close things out, stop motion as animation. So this is, and do what to do? What you think? Is this an animated film? Is this, yes, it is. It's what do we? What parts of this are of this movie are animated? Like what? What, what are you talking about? Well, it's like defining animation, right? This is much different than other. Well, just because animation we cover. Yeah, just because it's like um. Like, animation is just moving images like that are hold on let's look up the definition for animation but um i think it does meet the definition i agree well we're just looking, looking up definition well it's like the difference is this was made on a studio set with like many with like 18 different sets where they place the puppet and they move it they take picture they place the puppet and they move it take picture uh, so are you like, like questioning the like, not well, like it's, it, it's no different from just drawing things in a cell really well why yeah well, how is that the same like that's my i'm not i'm not skeptical i'm just you're trying, you're uh, taking a like a static either an animated object or a static image and you're moving it slightly to create the uh the illusion or like the effect of motion what so what what manifestations come from it being a a object versus a drawing hmm? like what, what do you mean by that it's like there's it's like a draw it, the, this is like a printed object that's being moved as opposed to a thing that someone drew i feel like there's a lot of things that would uh differences that would result from that i mean it's like I mean, technically, I mean, obviously, there's difference differences between puppeteering and animate, like physically drawing, being an animator. But it's still like they're it's like they're they're like sisters, you know. They come from the same overarching parent of animation, but then there's you know visual animation or two D animation, three uh, D animation too, I guess, and then stop motion. And it's, it's like, again, I was just saying, like, you know, they may have different ways of going about it. Okay, it's sort of like in sculpture, um, how you have different mediums. Like, you could be working in wood and make all these, like, wood carvings and do all of that stuff. But you can also be working in, like, candy or, like, chicken wire or, like, gum wrappers and stuff. Like, you can be, be making things but you're still under the moniker of sculpture. You know, it's still the basis is like a 3d object. So it still has the basis of being, you know, static things that are being manipulated by somebody's hand to move slightly frame by frame, you know? And what, and what, uh, why is, why is this considered the broad category for the, for this designation? the thing being moved frame by frame as opposed to being considered like a sculpture or like, as opposed to literally anything else. Like why is it that this is the category that we define it by? You're, <laughs> you're the one who took linguistics classes. Well, this is an art question. I don't, I don't, I'm not qualified to answer this. That's why I'm asking I, you. I haven't taken very many animation classes. In my day. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know about like the theory about it and all, but I, it's, it's just, 
It's just the medium I, that yeah, it I'm, is. I'm not, I'm not trying to express skepticism. I think these are questions worth asking that I feel like we take for granted sometimes. That's why I'm asking them. Um, like why it's like opposed to be, like why this. Why is this the same as, as the other things we cover? Why is anything the same as anything else? <laughs> like, I don't know. Wow. Okay. That's getting to like a, like an existential viewing that like maybe we can't, can't really answer. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Let's talk about it. Compared briefly again, briefly. Let's wrap things up compared to like live action. Um, how do, what does this film do that live action can't, or maybe they both can, and how more traditional animation can do it too? So live action captures a moment, like a human moment that mm -hmm. happens. Um, animation sort of captures the, like, an imaginary moment, like something that is like, I don't know, something more man-made than like organic human motion. You know what I mean? One of my biggest differences uh, when I think of this is that animation has just has like no limitations, whereas yeah, live yeah, action I definitely, a lot of times does. I definitely think about that too. Yeah, but here's the thing: does stop stop motion for sure has limitations? I feel like that are not placed on different types of animation. Yeah, because it has to do with maybe it has to do with the skills of like the people behind it. Also, to do with like it's props it's it's sculpture basically it's moving sculpture mm -hmm. and it, it costs it costs money like it costs more to you know make a whole like giant dragon out of a you know puppet parts than it would to draw a giant dragon like maybe more labor too so it has to do a lot with like the limitations of a you know budget and you know skill too like uh, there's like maybe not that many people out there like who are in the film world who can make giant dragons, but there are certainly like a lot of people who can draw giant dragons and they can draw them successively frame by frame. So yeah, I'm I'm really interested in like the difference in these how these different mediums like manifest uh, narrative and limitations surrounding narrative and um how they may be better or less equipped for dealing with certain types of narrative. And in my mind, this if you're looking at it from that perspective, this is very much different than like computer animation or hand-drawn animation. And both of these are very much also different from live action. Um, and I'm not sure specifically what the, how the relation to narrative is for, for all of them. And I think it's really interesting that this manifested from the stop motion. It's, it's sort of just like looking at like, like it's, it's the same thing with art. Like you have an idea and you think, well, how do I want to ma manifest this in a medium? Like, do I want to make this a painting? Do I want to mm. make this a sculpture? Mm. It's the same thing. Like, you look at a narrative, you look at a script, and, you know, maybe, like, not all directors think this, or not all, like, studios think this, but, you know, there has to be a question maybe sometimes, like, how do I want to manifest this? Yeah, do see, I want to make it live action? Do I want to make it animation? Like, yeah, and I think. But then again, like, there's sometimes where, like, it's specifically written to be a certain. Kind. And I think people never ask that question in modern film. And I think it's a big limitation that we're imposing on our stories. I think animation is not being explored to the to the depths that it could be because people don't consider it a serious choice for for serious narratives. They just default to live action. Whereas we might be able to explore like really different types of more intricate, more uh, more abstract types of narratives through animation. Yeah, maybe this will be a helpful. And I hope this pushes us thing. towards towards um, adult films being cons considering animation for their to execute their narratives. Um, I, and even 
even even if it's children oriented, that's not really the distinguisher to me. It's just like it shouldn't just be like these two two animation studios that make films. So like in Japan, uh, some of the biggest movies of the year are animated, and they're a lot of times aimed at adults. And their comics, bo- their comic books can be aimed at adults. Their animes can be aimed at adults, right? They, we they we don't have this um, limitation that we impose on that we impose on. Uh, animation here in america not that japan is the pinnacle of um like non-societal uh, impositions but in this instance they i feel like uh explore this medium in ways that we do not hear yeah i agree maybe we should do a series on adult oriented and like not like quote-unquote adult you know like sexual or whatever but more like seeing like what animation can do if it's not just in the mindset well Kids love animation. Blah, 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 yeah, blah, no, blah. and I, I mean that's why I, I like think Pixar a lot of times gets into with their so a lot, especially with some of their better films, gets into that, and a lot of the Ghibli films we cover definitely get into that. So, like, well, maybe all, we should start talking about that more. Yeah, the more conceptual stuff, more different types of films, stuff like that. Cool. I I can definitely come up with some films and stuff that have that. Yeah, you should. Yeah, we could we could I'll, do that. I'll make a list. Yes, make a list on that. Cool. Okay. Dylan uh, loves lists. Last thoughts on Annalisa. We already kind of wrapped it up before before yeah. we got into this hypothetical discussion, but I mean, I guess objectively, like I can see why like it's getting all the hype right now. Subjectively, I didn't think it was like too much to sneeze at, but you know, there's yeah. It's like getting hype, but also at the same time, it's not like this is any chance of getting a best picture nomination. Like it's yeah, generic the generic uh Yeah, the generic, like kinda how like Carol is like the generic drama. <laughs> yeah, the it's it's not breaking into that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, if you have seen this movie and you listen to this podcast, which I'm not convinced that we're going to get very high ratings for this one, but let me know what you thought of it and what you think of, especially if, because our audience falls on more of the progressive spectrum and how that colored your perspective of watching this film. Cool. Cool. Yep. Cool. All right. I'm Del Nice and that's Sam Quattro. You can find more about this podcast at overlyanimated.com. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash overlyanimated. Thanks to our current patrons. Shana, Mitch Cordell, Beatrice, Nate, Andy, Jamie, and Rachel, a.k.a. Hey, Nephew, Mitch Cordell, University of Beatrice Exchange, Buzz Like Your Mailman, and Rachel Rose. Um, she like just messaged you saying yeah, yes. So we have an answer. Uh, so we've covered... Um, I want to cover all the best picture and best animated feature contenders. It's going to be this. It's going to be Inside Out. Hopefully, I do good dinosaur with Mel at some point, and then we'll see what the others are. If it's if Minions is, then we covered that one. So, <laughs> do you want to like do just like a whole podcast on like the shorts? Uh, yeah, if I can show? find the shorts, yeah. I, I don't. I mean, know they usually they though. maybe they air they they air they uh play in theaters like around off, yeah. around well, Oscar if we, time if, we, anyway. if, if we can both see the shorts, then yeah, then definitely I want to do that. Okay. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.